As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. It's August 22nd, 2021. This is Tom coming to you from Sawdust Studios in the Washington, D.C. Outpost, and Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. I would be remiss if we did not offer my daughter, your sister, a big happy birthday. Happy birthday, KBB. All right. We're not going to give any extrapolation there. She's pretty cool. She's turning another age, and we're celebrating here with the Steelers' victory. So I'll toss it back over to you. Yeah, she has her own podcast, so we'll be listening for our birthday celebration there. Look, if you look sideways, squint and blur your eyes a bit, you got a shadow of a premonition about what the upcom- upcoming season may have in store after viewing the Steelers' 26-20 to 20 victory over the Lions. So let's get into it. We, again, aren't fully focused on the wins and losses here it's more about individual performances wins are nice right. but there we got to see the first team and there's quite a quite a few wins here they're stacking up Steelman trying to go undefeated this preseason we don't know whether that's good or bad but you probably have to have a conversation about it to figure out you know lions went undefeated preseason famously went defeated to be the first team ever to go 0 and 16 in the regular season whereas the Baltimore Ravens I believe they've won 18 or 19 in a row. Dad, can you check that for me real quick to the to the Ravens win yesterday in their preseason game? I know that they've won a lot. It's up for debate and a great place to have debates is in the Spotify green room, which is a live audio-only sports talk platform that's free to download and easy to use. You can talk to podcasters. You can talk to fans, athletes, and even insiders, like in in real time. Perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Spotify Green Room is the spot to be for the sports fans out here. Share your own experiences. Maybe get into arguments. Maybe blow off some steam. Whatever you want to do, you can do it in the Spotify Green Room. All you got to do is download the Spotify Green Room app for free in the iOS App Store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. Confirming the Ravens beat the Panthers 20 to 3. That's yesterday. 19 in a row. And they, they've generally done pretty well in, the, in these years. I guess that streak, maybe that started in their little mediocre downturn when they were kind of going 8-8 eight and eight every year. But people forget they had two injury-cursed years in a row. So even when they were going 7-9 or 8-8 eight and eight or whatever they went, they were still really good. They were just missing a lot of people. And then obviously some of these uh, uh, victories have come in the Lamar Jackson years, which have gone very well for them so far, although not well enough to, uh, to beat the Steelmen this year because the Steelmen are going to beat them down. I wish I had a podcast in 1975, six all the way through, because yeah, I recall Chuck Knoll caring about the preseason and winning games back then. I'd love to know 
what the percentage of play each player was back then and how they how at what time they cut players and so forth i think generally they just made them practice in full pads every day of the freaking year and i just heard a story from ryan clark i think i'm busting with the boys or from somebody who was it i don't remember but someone was talking about the joe gibbs era in washington the second joe gibbs era and since he was so old school he had them do an ota for the few days before training camp and people just went down like flies. So yeah, different mentality back in the day, as we've talked about without bearing the lead, burying the lead here, the the wins and losses, they are truly inconsequential. It's more about seeing what your guys can do. For instance, Bill Belichick and Mac Jones, the new quarterback from Alabama in his first game for the Patriots, his first pass was I think like a 15-yarder to Jacoby Myers or someone like that. And it was low and the guy scooped it off the ground and it seemed on the replay that he clearly made the catch, but the call on the field was no catch. Everybody in the stadium saw, okay, actually, he did catch this thing. Bill should challenge it. Bill didn't give a crap. He just moved on. And the thought is, well, great. I saw him complete that pass. Now I want to see what he looks like in third and long. So I'm not going to challenge this. This actually is an opportunity for me to try something new. Uh, I think somebody else, man, I'm missing. I'm, I can't remember all the names who have been making these points this week. Maybe Ryan Clark has made a few of them, but uh, James Harrison made some of these points as well. Pat McAfee made these points, but there's a lot of viral videos right now going around of people winning or losing in one-on-one reps in training camp. Okay, first off, the one-on-one reps are designed for the offense. There's no, like, shot clock. Receivers can do 36 jukes that would ne- and that would never work in a real game because the quarterback wouldn't be looking in your direction, right? Um, also, secondarily to talk about the preseason point a lot of times guys are trying out brand new things in practice it's like let me try out my release on the left side of line i'm I'm gonna try this other juke on the line of scrimmage that i never really do but i know i need to get better at with it it's a left foot first kind of thing or something usually i go with my right foot first practice is the time to take risks and preseason is a little bit of that as well so that's why we don't really care about the the wins and losses but I think we can all categorize this game as a win because apparently Ben Roethlisberger is back in his prime because he was literally unstoppable. It's just laughable to go back onto Twitter and, and watch all the comments about Ben and being washed up and they need to keep him under wraps now to preserve the few passes left in that arm. It looked good to me. Yeah, yeah, Ben looked phenomenal. I've, I mentioned this last week when I was talking about what I was looking for in the preseason. I want the offense to play together a lot. I wish that they would play them in the final preseason game, even though I I know that Ben won't play in that game. And the reason why I want the Steelers to play these guys is because there's 0.0 continuity on the offensive line. You have a new starter at every single solitary position. And then you have a quarterback who's in his, he's on the 18th hole here. And he's running. Yeah, is it? Well, yes. I I don't think that. Five more years. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Sorry. Okay. So the apex would not be where he's at. He's at, he's at the, the end of the slalom here and he's got a f- uh, new system for the first time in 20 years. It's not like he's, you know, it's not like you're going English to Spanish, but it is a new offensive philosophy. And you got this new running back who the offense is going to generate around new, 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 no continuity at all. I think that they should play more, particularly given the fact that the end to last season was not just bad, it was historically bad. It was one of the worst offenses we've ever seen in history, and that includes the prior year with Duck and Mason Rudolph. Right? So I think they should play more. And I referenced 
how that opinion has changed for me over the years. Because when the killer bees were in full swing, I did not want them to play at all in the preseason, really the linemen or the skill position guys, because they had been there, done that, and they were just reloading. They already had the chemistry. We could see them putting up tons of points. We didn't need them to be in there for very long. Just put A.B. and Ben and Pouncey in there for a few snaps to let them knock some rest, rust off and get them out of there because all of those seasons were ended with killer B injuries to at least one, if not two or all three of the star players, and they were tanking these playoff runs. So I said, I don't want to see them play. And I believe it was 2016 when they, when they gave the Steelers, okay, it's your third game. We're going to put the starters in. Let's see what happens. It was against the Saints, and it was exactly what we saw last night versus the Lions. It was like two drives, two touchdowns. A.B. had a 50-yard touchdown. Le'Veon had some runs. The new hyped-up Eli Rogers had some catches. Ben looked great. Everything was hunky-dory. Take him out of the game. They went into the year, had a great year, you know? This was a carbon copy of that game. In fact, this is Ben's... First multi-touchdown pass preseason game since that Saints game. So it's funny that I was mentioning that, and then somebody mentioned that statistic after this one. Um, If I'm thinking about my overarching or overarching themes to this game, it's like, look, it's just Ben and Fryermuth, right? And the the line looked passable. Uh, They were very up and down in run blocking. They opened a couple holes, and then they had a couple plays where Najee Harris was swallowed up by three defenders the instant he touched the ball. But they were pretty decent on the pass protection. Ben turned back the clock about 10 years with that pump fake spin move, reverse field, go all the way across the field and throw it to Ebron, who, guess what, drops it. His seat just got hot last night, didn't it, (laughs) with Fryermuth's performance. And then Fryermuth, again, we compare a lot of players to former Steelers. But I don't think it's lazy. I think it's the Steelers look for a certain type of guy, so they try to recreate these circumstances. When you watch Najee Harris, the height, weight, and speed are identical to, to Le'Veon Bell and their play style of I'm going to catch and run, I'm going to juke people even though I'm big, I'm going to run people over, and I'm going to do five yards at a time. I'm not going to get an 80-yard run. They are similar. Okay, well, Fryermuth is similar to like a modernized Heath Miller. He is not He's not slow, but he's not blazingly fast enough to become a Travis Kelsey or a George Kittle or something like that. And those guys, well, particularly Kittle is an unbelievable blocker from day one. But Fryermuth, like Heath, has adequate speed, unbelievable hands. And we saw this when we broke him down at Penn State. Like, not only is he one of those guys who's never going to drop the ball when it comes to them, but he will also box guys out with one arm and make a one-handed catch. He will make a catch on the sideline and you know, tiptoe it, Tony toe tap the thing. He has real finesse when it comes to catching the ball. And that's what they displayed on um, the game uh, during the game against the lions. So I really think that is kind of the excitement. All of, all of the receivers made a great play. We saw the Steelers go under center seemingly more than they had before. We saw them go play action on first down. We saw them throw to the running back on first down Two statistical trends in the NFL right now that have such enormous advantages that it's negligent to ignore them the way the Steelers have ignored those type of plays on first down. If you look at all the best offenses in the league, you know, whatever, uh, Kansas City Chiefs, Saints, you know, when Breeze was still there, you know, I guess you would look at the, uh, not the Patriots anymore, the Tampa Bay Tom Brady's now. If you are one of the top offenses, you are doing play action on early downs and you're making easy completions to running backs on first down. That stuff worked like a charm for the Steelers. 
They still had some of the spread it out short pass stuff. But you see now after last game that you don't have to throw out the whole short pass playbook. You can still do that as long as you're mixing it in with some 10-yard runs by Najee Harris, which we saw, some catches by him, and a 40-yard completion to Deontay Johnson by Ben. So it looked unbelievable, honestly, even though it was against a really bad Detroit team. I don't care. We've seen the Steelers falter in way worse circumstances. Um you just wonder if, if Ben's going to look like this halfway through the season, which is a very legitimate concern because it happened to him last year, and we've seen it happen to other star old quarterbacks like Peyton Manning and Drew Brees, the, the, the late-year breakdown. But where they stand right now, it was I was very surprised how good they were. I guess we're going to wait for the shoe to drop all season. I mean, typically, we've talked about last week how Ben comes out with a lot of rust for at least the first three games. This yeah. probably doesn't qualify as a game, but it was nice to see. I mean, he's got he has to jump this far, at least to make us feel a little bit more comfortable. So we'll see how it's going. Apropos of your point about play action, I think Nick brought this up because I I did some counting uh, prior to the podcast just to yeah. figure out where we were, and I didn't count all the play action. I did count the number of times Ben was under center. Six out of seventeen snaps for thirty five percent of the time he was under center. We'll wow. figure out what the what uh, play action was. Mason was under center 13 of 32. So that's 41% of the times he was under center. Last year's play action, there is, I did find this number, it's 8%. That's hilarious. That That's like a laugh out loud joke. 8% of the plays. That was last, uh, it was either last or next to the last in the league. Look, I'm telling you right now, it's free freaking completions doing play action. And I do blame Randy Feetner for that. I think that Ben was out there. I, I will always stand on that. Like, Ben was wanting to do his things. But I'm going to blame Feetner for being completely incompetent and then Mike Tomlin for not putting his foot down. Like, Bill Belichick will always take into account what Tom Brady likes. I know he's on the Bucks now. But he will always take that into account. Mike Tomlin should always take into account what Ben Roethlisberger likes. Ben Roethlisberger is a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's been playing pro football for 20 years. He knows a thing or two about strategy just because just you're not in coaches' meetings. But the difference is Bill Belichick is going to get the final word, and there's no occasion where Tom Brady was going to get that final word over him. He knows enough to say, like, I know you like throwing to the whatever, this type of route, but we have this type of defense this week. So guess what? You're not throwing that. And I wish that Mike Tomlin had put his foot down earlier, but this is really pretty damning on Randy Feetner a little bit. It's almost like they're rubbing it in their face. 35% under center from, where did they go? 70, 17% last year, right? Twice, literally twice the increase there. And it's so funny. It's just a calling card for Steelers fans this year. Like, it's just as simple as going under center and doing more play action. I'm going to tell you right now, it is. It is that simple. We're not saying they have to redesign everything. They have a good quarterback. They have good receivers. They're just being obtuse and how stubborn they are about not taking certain things. That's like if during the Mike Wallace years, you said, we, just, we don't want to throw go routes. We're just not going to throw. That's just not really what we do. We're going to take that whole element out of our game. We're just, we don't really kick field goals. Yeah, that's not a thing we do. You can't just remove a massive advantage of the game and think you're going to play with one hand tied behind your backs, which the Steelers did. So now that they're doing, they're doing these super basic elements of football, they're getting massive advantages. And guess what? When you play action, when you go under center, it also causes the defense to actually wait for it. Hold on. Think. 
They have to diagnose plays instead of knowing exactly what the Steelers are going to run all the time. So you might get a three-yard run instead of a one-yard loss just because they're not teeing off on you when you go under center. Where last year, if I'm, if I'm correct here, I believe when they were under center, they ran 85% of the time. So when they're under center and you're a linebacker, you're sprinting towards the running back without even worrying about some sort of pass play. Now just the fact that you are mixing in more looks under center, more play action, the defense has to think for a minute. And now maybe – I know this is probably an overreaction, you know, playing against a semi-backup Detroit Lions defense. Now the rest of the world is looking like, oh, yeah, yeah, Chase Claypool is – Deontay Johnson is pretty good. Oh, wow. They do have a lot of good guys, don't they? The offense looks a lot better. So couldn't have gone any better than it did the other night. Not to throw out a ton of numbers, but it gives a little bit of context for a play action last year. I did look at it. I just did the calculation. The Steelers were dead last in terms of play action pass or play action uh, percentage at 8%. The next lowest were the Jaguars at 15%. The highest, the Titans at 36%. So that gives you an idea about what other, what the other teams are doing. Yeah, Dad, that, that's a perfect encapsulation of the situation because Steelers are dead last, and the second-to-last person has twice the amount of play action. Two, two times, you know? That, that, that just shows you what a massive issue it was. And if you want – hey, you know, we're big – we're Mike Tomlin fans on this podcast. We think he does – way more good than bad. And we also have a feeling that a lot of people out there who are Steelers fans, and we love you, you don't seem to watch the other teams very often. So go watch the other teams, and you realize everyone has their issues. And uh, you want who do you want to prop up besides Bill Belichick? Andy Reid, who couldn't win a Super Bowl until Mahomes dragged him there? And by the way, he almost ruined that game too, Andy Reid. Andy Reid just lost them the last Super Bowl by calling deep passes the whole game against the number one defensive line with three of your starting offensive linemen. So who are you looking for? Sean Payton, who hasn't gotten past the divisional game in 20 years, it feels like, and needed a call to bail him out of the championship. Like, there is is no other guy, all right? So we're Mike Tomlin fans, but this is where you have to blame him for things that are so childlike obvious, where it's like, dude, just get – Get those numbers up a little bit. You're playing with one hand tied behind your back. So it was so nice seeing that last night. Ben looked phenomenal. He still does look like old guy Ben. Like when he's out there, I do see like the ball obviously still zips in. Like the two touchdowns of Fryermuth were beautiful, effortless. Um, but you could see maybe a couple years ago there's a few miles per hour extra on the, on the fastball. Even with his whirling dervish scramble, I mean you're definitely holding your breath like – He's still smooth. He'll always be a smooth athlete. That's why I think that play worked. But when he's running, you're like, oh, God, oh, God, stop doing that. That's a great way to, to, to describe it because he wasn't super quick. He wasn't, but he was like, he made that pirouette almost in slow yeah. motion and he's still <laughs> able to get away from guys. It's like they're calibrating him at an NFL younger right. quarterback <laughs> speed and he just slows it down just a half a mile an hour the pump fake was just oh yeah. on display because that's Should what have broke his shoulder but that's what wor- that's why it worked is because the pump fake he he goes all the way through the throw usually guys just kind of herk and jerk it up near their ear but he goes all the way with the follow-through the ball is still going forward until it gets to his hip so that's why the guy jumped and he was using it like more than usual but if you look at him from a few years back like 
he I don't care if he does it four times a, a play because it's so freaking good that it doesn't even matter if you tell your defenders to look for that pump fake. It's still going to fool you. Do you know what's interesting? During his interview, he said, I was passing. That was going to be a pass. I was letting go of that ball. He's always but said whoever that. But whoever you – huh? Yeah, he's always said that. It's like those but, pump fakes aren't pre-planned. He just pulls it back in the middle of the throw. Yeah, whoever his target was still Juju. hadn't completed the route. It was Juju hadn't completed the route or hadn't uh, he released it. Up, so. He said he turned it up field, yeah. And the same thing with Fryman, the same thing with everything. Most of the pump fakes are not premeditated, which really just shows you. He's just out there winging it, but easily the best pump fake in the history of football. It is wild how effective it is. When anybody has a fantasy that they could play in the NFL, when you realize most of these quarterbacks have made up their mind before the snap, you know they're supposed to go through their progressions. It takes a while before you're going through your progressions, right, until you're comfortable enough with how much time that takes. And he's actually making a decision in the middle of his arm coming forward. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like it, but I don't like it. I, I like that. I like right, the we're ability. going here. Yeah, exactly. No, I didn't mean I don't like it. Oh. I was I was quoting Ben, and I'm going. Right. Nah, I don't like it. Um, that's just the way. You know what's funny is if I'm thinking about the game as a whole, it really does just come down to wow, that was inspiring from Ben from the offense. You got to see Najee Harris have a 46-yard play. That was a thing of beauty. You got to see him have a couple great runs where you did notice that, hey, yep, drafting a running back in the first round is really risky. If he gets injured, your run game is gone. But anybody who says that if you don't have a good offensive line, nobody's going to run behind it, that's not true. How many times does he get hit at the line of scrimmage with two guys and then he just drags them for three or four yards? Like, oh, well, then that's just, it's now it's second and six. Like, this guy really is a one-man army. So he was great. The Fryermuth thing, look, the reports out of training camp have, have sort of mirrored what we saw. And Ben said in the press conference, don't talk about him too much. I don't want other teams to know what's up. Fryermuth just bought himself a bigger piece of the pie. So your first and second round rookies looked like pro bowlers. <laughs> I know. Look, look it's, it's a preseason game, but that was phenomenal. And the type of catches Friar Muth is making, jumping up in the end zone, spinning around, catching it back shoulder with a bullet, getting both feet down, continuing his record of zero dropped passes in the run, in the red zone since his Penn state days, continue that here. It's pretty nice. There is a battle. We're going to jump right to the tight ends because this is a good time to talk about that. Eric Ebron needs oh, to be man. hearing footsteps because he definitely is hearing them on this field. Yeah, that was. It's coming to an end. It's, it's so frustrating, man. I understand the other fan. I mean, the vitriol towards him is always disgusting. Football fans are pieces of crap when they do that stuff online. But I do understand where they're coming from. Eric Ebron has a particular frustration that he can give a fan base because he makes these nice plays, but the drops are so mind-boggling. Like, to drop it in that situation with that great Ben throw where, like, the guy's, the corner's not even really looking at you yet, and it hits you in the chest. How do you drop that? And then the false start, he, he has false starts every few games. It's, he just doesn't, he's a cool guy. He's athletic, but he does not have the ability to lock it in consistently. Well, he hasn't really been able to demonstrate any plays that we were paying for, right? I mean, he the ones he caught, he should have caught. Um, aside from the drops, you know, and there's also a beef about his blocking. And I, I went back because I wanted to compare his blocking to Fryermuth's. Yeah, Pat 
Pat needs to get on the bench. He does. He needs to get on the bench a little bit more. Yes. He tries. He's basically he basically dives at people's legs right now. But yeah. it looks like he knows where he's supposed to go. Uh, Ebron, surprisingly, yeah. made a pretty good effort, I, I would say. He has great but effort he, since he's been on the Steelers. And he's made some effective blocks, even if he doesn't he crush has. people. Out in space, yeah. especially. But even at the line, I noticed that, that he'll he'll do it, he'll engage. Yeah. Um Fryermuth is not that much further behind Ebron. No. And I and I will say you want to keep and Zach Gentry has turned himself into a an NFL offensive lineman. He's got based be on what space. I saw. Right? He he just yeah. like once again, the Steelers like to draft a particular type. They're finding these six, seven guys who could be blocking tight ends as the second tight end. That'll be really valuable if you want to run the ball a little bit better. So when I going back to the overall themes before we just go on to the positional breakdown, yeah, the themes of this game I thought were, wow, the offense was better than we expected. We're not freaking out because it was against the Detroit Lions who are, you know, at risk for winning two or three games this year. And they were playing some backups. But that's okay because I had some worries that with this offensive line not playing together and with Ben throwing so many picks in, in the practices and training camp, I had some worries that they were just going to be a little bit clunky. They were not that. And I said there's no continuity on the offense, but I failed to mention the receivers have some continuity with Ben, and that is obvious right now. Like, okay, great. This is the first year. Now they've played together for a year. These guys know each other pretty well. It, it, I thought that the receivers were good. And then defensively, we just didn't get a, the, the Lions were putrid. So we really didn't get to see much. So I just look at it as, oh, the Steelers were an elite team. They did their job offensively and defensively. The, they had the ball for our 12 minutes in the first quarter. <laughs> so there just really wasn't much we got to see from the rest of the team. The only other thing that really stood out to me is that Mason Rudolph has been – extremely consistent this preseason and we've said this he is what he is i if he ever starts for the steelers i'll cry but if he has to come in for relief for a game or two or three here or there you you got to be comfortable with it man i mean if anybody gets near him it breaks down he is going to throw it into the dirt or to the other team or he's going to just crap his pants or try and grab somebody's balls and then he's going to hit him over the head with a helmet and you know how it goes but otherwise he goes through his progressions nicely he throws a very catchable ball. He is not afraid to attack downfield. He has good chemistry with this group of receivers who are all his age. And one of them was his, you know, go-to guy in college, James Washington. He didn't do great in the red zone, Mason Rudolph, um, where it gets a little bit tighter in there. And then that's where the starting quarterbacks really make their money. But I just thought that he was extremely solid. It's like this dude is completing like 80% of his passes right now. And, and still passing for yards. So I thought he was good. I guess there's a little bit of a bummer we didn't get to see Haskins play instead of – I mean, Haskins' day was whatever. Not his fault at all. He just really didn't get any opportunities. So that backup quarterback battle seems done, doesn't it? Wouldn't you agree? I mean, the Steelers sort of made that apparent. We did get to see them when we watched the replay. Uh, as you said, he didn't have much of an opportunity to lay it up. He was four for seven for 56 yards and a sack. Yeah, Mason looks like he has solidified his position at number two. My prediction would be they're, they're going to keep. They're going to want to keep the continuity as such a Steelers thing to keep Mason as the backup this year, and then next year I would anticipate a, a training camp battle between Haskins and Rudolph. 
And you would think if Haskins keeps ascending, Haskins would win it. He's more talented. But for everybody saying, I want Haskins as the quarterback over Rudolph, I don't know if I 100% agree with that for long term, if we have to have Haskins and we can't get some star in the draft, you know, who's not a knucklehead. I agree with that for the next two or three years. I don't necessarily agree with that for this year. I still don't see Haskins making the reads and the plays downfield with the ease that Mason Rudolph does this year. I could see with the whole year being on the team, Haskins getting to that point, and then you're like, well, yeah, he's better than Mason at everything. He has a better arm. He has better legs. He had a nice run in this game, Haskins. That was nice to see. But I don't necessarily think that Haskins give you the best chance to win this year if Ben misses a game. I personally think Mason Rudolph has a much better control over the offense. He has just as much starting experience as Haskins does. And he played with a crappy team in that duck year where there were a lot of injuries. And I, he's been much better than Haskins, which doesn't say much. So I think that if he has to go in this year, I actually don't disagree with, with them letting Mason be that guy and then letting Haskins have a year to go overtake him next year in training camp, even though as a third quarterback, he's going to get very few reps. Well, I guess he gets to run the scout team. I guess you just made my point is that it, do you think that they're preserving Mason Rudolph to be the quintessential and forever backup quarterback? And so he needs to be ready for this upcoming season, upcoming season with enough snaps and they'll let Haskins, you know, they'll, they'll duke it out next year for the starting position. And the problem with that obviously is Haskins, you need to see him under real fire. You need to see him in some regular season games because the beef about him is decision making. I don't think they're looking that far into the future to say, oh, Rudolph's always going to be the backup. I think this is a two part thing. I think it's, we are trying to make a Super Bowl run this year. We have a 38 year old quarterback who has a history of missing one or two games every year. We need to make sure we know who Charlie Batch is this year. We need to have our backup quarterback for this year. Now, we're not going to deny reality in the fact that we just got a top 15 overall draft pick at quarterback for free in Dwayne Haskins. Let's get him in here. Let's have him push the incumbent, Mason Rudolph. Let's see what we got with him. And if Ben retires next year, then we're going to let those two guys compete in training camp. But I don't think they have this vision of like, okay, Dwayne will be the three next year, but then he's going to jump to one and then Mason's going to stay at two. I think that they're just weighing all their options and – The reason why they didn't go crazy giving Haskins more snaps is because they're like, wait, we got this guy Rudolph in there. He's won half of the games in his career, basically, and we're trying to win the Super Bowl this year. We're not – Haskins, you know, that's more of a post-Ben sort of thing unless he just lit the world on fire, which we knew he wouldn't at training camp. Nothing in his career has said that he was going to come in there and have like a Colin Kaepernick thing. Like, whoa, where did this guy come from, you know? Um, Russell Wilson or – Dak Prescott, like we've seen Haskins. And so far he's been great in the preseason, but I don't think it's a master plan. I think it's more about what's best for the team this year and then going forward. Well, let's talk about something that's key to a successful quarterback, and that is the offensive line. They were up and down. I mean, I think they were decent. The big thing is, again, not playing against great competition, but I do not care. We do not They care. protected Ben pretty well. Uh, he had a couple plays where he actually sat in the pocket and threw the ball downfield instead of just those little dink and dunkers. And then with the runs, it was boom or bust. That first run, like that seven or eight yard run by Najee, they did a really good job, Trey Turner, blasting people off the line of scrimmage. But then 
And then they did a good job otherwise of just not getting steamrolled and then letting Najee Harris be the stud running back he is. And he, he picked his way to some yards. But then they had some very obvious failures where Najee got hit with not two, but three people the instant he got the handoff. And I'm not exact. It's that's I'm not generalizing. I'm not saying ah there was there's a few people who got him. it was three people. It was utter failure, and so that's going to be expected. We know that's going to happen this year. Uh, you're not going to be able to get around that. They're going to have to gel. They're going to have to get experience. Um, but I thought that they were good. They were up and down. I just one one. I haven't really sat there and watched them in detail yet. Just a few. I try to watch Banner a little bit. Man, he is lumbering. He does worry me right now where I saw him. He's barely played. They're making sure he doesn't get in there a lot. This was his first reps, but he got got a couple times. And when in, if he gets his hands on you, if you get into his chest, he's 600 pounds. So, yeah, he can bury you at that point. But the second anybody does a change of direction, like if they try to run around the shoehorn and then stop on a dime and cut inside of him, he can't stick with them. If they do spin moves, he has trouble sticking with them. So Banner is definitely the guy I'm going to watch, even though he's he's just barely started. And, and I guess they wanted uh, they put Dan Moore in for him pretty early, just in an effort to control his uh, Zach Banner's reps. I actually watched him. He played all all of both uh, first drives. I didn't I yeah. didn't see what you're seeing. I mean, maybe he was letting guys go underneath and they didn't have enough time to get to the quarterback. But I, I thought Banner did a good job. I thought he did a really good job on the runs. It wasn't his his responsibility for what happened during some of those busted plays. I thought he had two good series. Well, well it remains yeah, to be I'll seen. Yeah, i have to cut those plays. I mean, he got whiffed. He definitely whiffed on a few. Run game, that's his specialty. The, he's a gigant. He's an oversight. He's like a He's kind of got some pudge to him, man. Like, you even think about Gilbert and Villanueva. Those were massive guys, but they didn't seem pudgy like um, Zach Banner does. I'm not even saying it to be funny or anything. I mean, I'm just saying, like, his body type that way. So he's not super limber, and I get scared with guys who have some agility to be able to get around him. But, yeah, I'm not saying he was a train wreck at all. I'm just saying I saw some flashes against some very bad defensive linemen. That, that do have me worried in the same way that I was worried last year where he got absolutely annihilated on speed moves in the one, games, the one game that he played against the Giants. It's kind of always been his problem. He's a bigger, pudgier guy. He's a road grader. He likes to go forward. So we'll see how they can mitigate that going forward. How much more do you want to say about Najee? Because I want to move to the running backs now. So Najee's statistics were uh, four rushes for 10 yards. He obviously had that sort of opening drive run of eight yeah. yards where he was carrying the team, but otherwise inauspicious except for his receiving game. Yeah, I mean, two of the play he lost eight yards on two plays where he had three guys on him where he got the ball right away. We said it's going to be Jerome Bettis-like this year. Like the yards per carry are not going to be great just because the line sucks. Sorry, the line, well, yeah, the line is developing. Um, the line's developing, you know? Um, to everybody who says there's no way he's going to have success, that's insanity. He's 100% going to have success. because, And I'm not just saying that because he's great. Because we saw Saquon Barkley in that Giants game last year against the Steelers, and Ben Roethlisberger outrushed him. And Saquon had 10 carries for two yards or negative three yards or whatever it was. So that's an example of, oh, my God, if Saquon Barkley can't get a yard, then what can happen? Well, the difference is Daniel Jones – I mean, what, what, what are the Steelers worried about? Daniel Jones, Sterling Shepard? Like, what, what receivers are you worried about in the Giants? 
if you're playing the Steelers, you still got Ben Roethlisberger, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Pat Fryermuth, Juju Smith-Schuster. Like, there's other things defenses have to worry about. So, Najee this preseason, it's just been a confirmation. Oh, yeah, looks like he's at Alabama. He's, he's the same guy. Phenomenal catch and run on that long pass. It's, it's nice to see him get some highlights. I just wish that Ben and Mason would stop getting him laid out because Ben threw an absolute hospital that got, his, that got him cracked in half. That was tough. Um, as far as running backs go, you talk about that second-year player jump, right? Anton McFarlane has definitely taken that. He still plays like a chicken with his head cut off. It's so funny. He's at full speed right when he gets it. But you see him now making some cuts, getting upfield, taking the five yards when he can have it. You see his speed is shocking. It just blasts off, off the television screen. And so he has taken a step forward definitively. I don't know how far that step forward will go through the course of the season because he still plays a little bit out of control for me. Like I'd, I'd like to see him glide a little bit more before taking off. But uh, as far as the running backs, that was good. And then Kalen Balaj, he, he's had the identical game that he's had. He looks good. He's definitively a better version of Benny Snell. He's a slightly faster version. So the running back situation has been pretty decent. I think you're seeing the demise of Benny Snell. Yeah. Do you think that there's any way Samuels makes the team? I don't. I don't think so. It seems like they have three really good running backs, but uh, you, uh, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think everybody is is viewing Samuels as being an afterthought, and we've made our uh, thoughts clear on Samuels. Who's better, Samuels or Snell? Neither one. They're the two slowest running backs in the NFL. So if you kept one of those, okay, whatever. They'd have to play special teams, which they don't really do a ton of. And uh, but I like, yeah, the top three guys they have are are pretty solid. But obviously, there's just a there is no D'Angelo Williams behind Le'Veon Bell right now. There is no James Conner behind Le'Veon Bell. There's a question mark. There's a couple question marks, but at least they've shown um, some promise behind Najee Harris. But I, yeah, I'd feel more comfortable if there was a James Conner there. Juju was Juju yeah. last night. He was six for uh, five receptions on six targets, only 39 yards, a, a long catch of 17. But he did what he does, which is to break tackles. Yeah, and very to good. Break linebackers. Spirits. That's right. Yep, he's awesome. Juju falls under that category of like, uh, do we need to see him in the preseason? Like this guy's been doing this for four years. So I don't need to see it. Doesn't surprise me when he plays great. He, it's amazing how he's able to break tackles on the perimeter. Hopefully we get to see Ben hitting him on some more dig routes, some more 10, 15, 20-yard in-breaking routes. Once again, don't really care about seeing him on the outside. I know he wants to play the outside so he can get some more money, but uh, we got dudes to play that role. I just want to see him downfield a little bit more. He was great. Uh, let's talk about Deontay. What a nice catch uh, on that uh, 40-yarder. Uh, it is funny when you saw that 40-yard pass from Ben. All the reporters on Twitter make the same little hacky joke, like, oh, is ben, does it Ben's arm look bad now? And I'm looking back and forth like, that was an underthrow, right? We agree that was an underthrow. So that, that actually would be a case into the, his arm, his shot crowd. He did not throw it far enough. But, no, I don't think it was truly an underthrow as much as it was he didn't put the right traject- trajectory on it. Ben said in the postgame press conference – he put too much air under it. And I rewatched that play 40 times because I rewatched all of Ben's big completions about 40 times just for pure joy. But I was trying to figure out with that one, 
Should he have put that farther out in front of Deontay and then Deontay would have had a touchdown because he had two steps on his corner? Or if he put it out farther, was the safety actually going to be able to get there? So was he trying to intentionally throw a little bit short before the safety got there? And Ben basically said, I should have just thrown it on more of a straight line before it got there. But what a nice adjustment to Deontay. He makes those catches if he's downfield, you know. Well, he needs he needs to make more downfield catches too. But what a nice play by Deontay. That ball had more hang time than a Presley Harvin punt. Yeah, he mooned and, it. And up if there. you look at it, you wonder how Deontay didn't get excoriated by the safety coming wow. over. But it looked like the state safety was just a step behind. So I think if that ball went further in the path that Deontay was running, he would have been past those two guys. And that's one of the things that separated Ben Roethlisberger from so many other quarterbacks over the years is that when his guy gets behind him, it's going to be an 80-yard touchdown. I mean, Ben throws lots of 50, 60, 70, 80-yard touchdowns, and that has not been a part of his game in the past few years. But we got to agree, right? There's no way that play doesn't go a long way for him mentally. Uh, that's a double negative for me right there. I guess what I'm trying to say is, might have been a little underthrown, but he throws his first deep ball of the year, and it's a 40-whatever-yard gain. That feels pretty good. And it was still a good throw. It just, you know, maybe you could have had a touchdown on it. Jay Wash continued to have solid games. He was 3-for-4, only 24 yards, but again, uh, solidly the number 4 yeah, making those, wide receiver. making those strong catches with their, when there's people around him. And he's you know, getting crushed by people, and he just snatches that thing out of the air. So, once again, another guy. He is who he is. The only receiver I really want in preseason was Chase Claypool, and I'm glad they got him the reps before he got this little injury. Oh, we didn't even hit on that. That that was terrifying this week when we thought Chase Claypool was about to be out for the season. You get carried off the field by Ebron and Ben. That's no good news, but it seems he's going to be totally fine. And judging by how he was jumping around and celebrating and emoting and yelling on the sideline, he, he looks totally fine. I saw some of his celebrations where he's jumping and running, where I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> this guy's good to go. But thank goodness, dodged a bullet on that particular uh, instance. Dodge the offense and go over to the defense, which didn't have quite the opportunity he has in the past to shine. But as usual, the D-line... Um, yeah. was dominating, yeah. and I just I spent all, the entire replay just watching Cam as long as he was in the game. There is almost nothing to say about the defense this this game. You know, Justin Lane did did his job making a couple plays. I'm sorry, I, I'm already Burns territory with Justin Lane. Like I'll, I'll be shocked if he turns okay. Although I'm praying for it and I'm rooting for him the same way that I did with Artie. But there is just so many similarities there with two athletes who really struggle to cover receivers at a position where it requires that but the two big plays that I liked in the first half Joe Hayden's deflection on the first third down uh in in zone coverage against uh the Lions here beautiful deflection by the way had an appearance on Pat McAfee's show this this week I'd suggest going back and listen to that Joe Hayden just one of the most likable lovable guys ever he came on the day after James Harrison another phenomenal interview James has turned into quite the uh the speaker it's glorious Interlocker. Interlocker. Debo with a microphone. So I liked Hayden's play. An, another guy on that list of he does not need a preseason snap. And then Minka Fitzpatrick had a nice one where he was right, ready to break up a ball that went deep there. Um, and you should listen to that interview that Hayden had on 
McAfee, because whenever you hear these Steelers get injured, whether it's Mike Tomlin on Flying Coach, whether it's Joe Hayden on Pat McAfee, they can't get through an interview without talking about Minka and how big of a deal Minka is. And it's funny because in Pittsburgh, we're used to Troy as the safety. Like Troy is usually in the picture, right? The, the free safety, the Ed Reed types, are usually outside of the picture. You can't even view them because of the way the camera focuses. And just know that Minka is back there. And if a quarterback wants to go down there, it's no good because that play where he was right near it to break it up, that could have been a, a touchdown um, when you looked at that guy running through the secondary and Minka was right there, you know, okay, we still got Minka, we're good. But, yeah, there's really not a ton that happened on the defense. I think that um, it's just, yeah, it was, it was hard to overshadow that first quarter of them just completely shutting down the backup lines players and then the offense doing whatever they wanted. I just want to highlight Jameer Jones. He is buried deeply on the depth chart at uh, edge or you know outside linebacker, but he continues to quietly have some good games. He had yeah. credited for half a sack. He had a tackle on two tackles on special teams, and he hit Huge. the quarterback twice. So yeah. he might be uh, somebody to watch out for to see if he can hang on to the active roster. Yeah, you're right. He's had a nice little preseason there, and that was uh, Marcus Allen just – Beelining through the line of scrimmage and then and basically giving Jameer Jones that sack my one, but Jameer Jones is always in the fray. And those two special teams tackles, that tells you everything you need to know. Like that's what you need from those bubble roster players. So obviously the defense was great, but I will say I, th- I think that the Lions' ineptitude affected the defense even more. I mean, there's not a single player you're worried about on the Lions team backup or, or starter i'll say on special teams i mean boz looked good everybody looked everybody's looked good sexton did you get a chance to watch his return i know you had to miss the, the actual return live did you get a chance to go back and watch it oh yeah it's nice that, right you know what i guess that's what you do when you're hanging on by your fingernails you take a risk like that he went east about 50 yards yeah. and he got to the outside he got some blocking but he's got some jets He's fast. He, he's not blazing. I don't know if he's as fast as Ray Ray, and I do think he's playing against some, you know, non-NFL players on that punt return, some guys who are going get, to get cut there, and that is one of the big differences between starters and backups is speed is the one big thing a lot of people say. Like, you can make some long runs against backups, but can you make it when everybody out there is running 4-4 four, 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 So... I don't know how translatable that return was. I don't know if he's a guy who can ever go east and west again in like a real game. But the bottom line is he is a natural punt returner. He has that instinct. He has that thing you see A.B. used to do all the time where you make the catch. You just take one little step to the side and you kind of let the wave come past you. And then you pick a lane to the front. You go through it. And that's what he did. And when he went through that lane and got covered up. He stepped back, had some good blocks, and then did have the speed. Even though it's against backup players, it still says a lot. He had the speed to get around the edge. And he, I, I don't think he's, he's going to challenge Ray Ray in any way, shape, or form. But he's had a really nice uh, preseason. Because you got to remember also, like, last season when Ray Ray came in, it was, it was like 80-yard punt return touchdowns like every other game. So uh, we've seen this before. But, yeah, he did a great job. He de- That's I think Mike Tomlin said, they quoted him during the broadcast, I don't think I've ever seen a player score on a punt return in the preseason and not make a team. So Sexton hasn't scored, but those punt returns are a big way for these preseason guys to make some noise. 
Before we have some final thoughts about Najee and some non-football observations, a word from our sponsor. Spotify Green Room, everybody. It's a live, audio-only sports talk platform that's free to download, and it's so easy to use, man. You can talk to fans. You can talk to athletes. You can talk to insiders in real time. Get in on the conversations that you listen to here every day. Share your own experiences and takes on the app, and you might even have a chance to be featured on some of your favorite podcasts, depending on who's up on that Spotify Green Room thing there. So download the Spotify Green Room app for free in the iOS App Store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. So I think that takes us through all the positions. You and I had a, a quick discussion right before the podcast about Najee's uh, presser after the game. Oh, yes, yeah, press conference style. So I, I think... Like, I like everybody else. We all love Najee. He's just, how can you not like a guy who is that good at football and that fun to watch? I mean, this dude is juking people out. He jumps over people on a regular basis. He's extremely tough. Whenever he gets laid out, thanks to Ben and Rudolph, he gets up off the turf so quickly and not even in a way to totally, he's not like overcompensating. He just knows, I'm going to get up quickly. He gets up, walks back to the huddle, no problem. He, on the field, he's lovable. Off the field, we know his story. Like, this guy is growing up and sleeping in cars when his mom is trying to provide for the rest of the family. His mom would say, you got to go stay at a friend's house. He said, I'm going to stay with you, my mom. I'm like, okay, this guy's the man. Even to the massive standard of Alabama and NFL football players, his community service is, like, over the top, you know, trying to help orphan kids and, and homelessness and stuff like that. So he's a really lovable guy, all capped off by the smile. I mean, the guy's that smiley. He's great. I will say the press conferences are a little hacky for me. He kind of just relies on the same little trick every time. It's the inflection of the voice. He's always asking the question like, you see Pat? You see Pat today? It's always like the little move is in the form of the question. When uh, in the national or the semifinal game uh, against Georgia, when he was at Alabama, when he was, you know, he, he had some amazing plays, of course, and he tells him, what? Did you see that? They were all over me, man. They were all, so he always does that little move, and every, every player has one or not, but sometimes I think the press conferences are a little overrated. Until then, we went through it, and we realized, like, ah, maybe that little quirk is a little funny, but he does give real football answers. He's a guy that's impossible not to love, and uh, he will – he has a humility about him that I find – very like it's an attractive quality where he's humble while at the same time being completely confident. Uh, but he gives other players credit and stuff like that, and he'll give himself credit. So he's got a good way about him. But we both just noticed that little quirk. Like if it's a Najee presser, he's gonna do the the question thing to the reporters. But uh, is it like this? And they love it. These fifty year old white guys are just eating it up. <laughs> they love it. So we'll work. Keep doing it, Najee. I don't know. It's not endearing to me, but I don't care. As yeah. I said to you before the podcast, he's not dancing on other teams' logos. He's not putting oh, out cringeworthy geez. TikToks. He <laughs> gave a really he's he gives good breakdowns of play. They asked him about his um his long reception, his long run after uh, after the catch, and he yeah. broke that down really. And it's interesting to hear a player's perspective about how that that play sort of unwinds. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm not you know. Don't care. We do not care. We were just noticing while we were watching the press conferences because you're we're obviously gonna see Najee interviewed after every game. Yeah, when you had AB, you just knew we don't we probably don't have to watch this thing. 
He could barely speak, but he also had incredible like media training. He always made sure to shout out Ben or the quarterback or wherever it was. Always made sure people knew Ben was number one until he was a real douchebag and did the opposite of that. But he was smooth. But he wasn't going to say anything. Le'Veon always a pretty good interview, and then obviously those offensive line captains, uh, you know Foster and, and Pouncey, phenomenal. Um, so, but we're looking for our next interview guys because even Juju, Juju's not a great interview. Claypool, that's eh, fine. We need our Vince Williams. Like, who's it going to be? I mean, we know that Bush will be amusing on social media. Hayward, he's just kind of a by-the-book captain guy. It's not going to be a fun interview. Joe Hayden, very lovable. But who is who's our fun interview guys right now? We got to see. It's not Fryermuth, I'll tell you that much. Zach Banner. Oh, well, there you go. I stand corrected. Zach Banner. We do have Banner. All right. The Steelers wrap up preseason this Friday at 7.30 Eastern time against the Carolina Panthers. And it um, yeah, would be nice to be 4-0, but we are most excited about September 12th. This is usually the Josh Dobbs revenge game. Revenge on the rest of the NFL for not giving them more playing time. But I wonder, will they just give this to, you know, how much is Haskins going to play? That's the beautiful thing about this weird quarterback situation this offseason. There is a lot to look forward to based on how they handle the quarterback rotation for next game. And then obviously, if you follow the team closely, like you were saying last week, you start to love these guys like Sexton and Jameer Jones and, and you, you root for them. But it is hard to, like, look, it's hard to watch. It's not fun. There's not a lot of deep passes or great plays. So while you're rooting for these guys, it would be nice to see something fun. So hopefully Haskins gets some more burn because obviously we all want to see more of what he can do. And uh, the Buffalo Bills beware, man, because the Steel men are going under center. And they're going into your end zone. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate. Or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. 
Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.